Okay, so let's just dive right into the conversation if we can. So you have been critical on how Congress is now run, particularly the role of the speaker, and that Congress should be more open, but most members of Congress have bad ideas. Are we really going to have better government if they have more of a voice? Yeah, so first let me... <laughs> that <laughs> so was a big Great question. way to start. So first let me say um, how much I admire Cato for for your principles, for staying true to what you believe in. Um, because during my time in Congress, I did see a lot of organizations shift very suddenly and very dramatically, um, especially in the last several years. And Cato was an organization that stayed true to what it believed in. And um, that has a lot to do with not just the leadership at Cato, but the people in this room who support Cato and who partner with Cato. So, I, I want to say um, thank you to all of you for being there because that always gave me some comfort. While I sometimes felt alone in Congress, it was always great to know that there were still some allies out there, some people who, who held principles and, and stayed true to them. So the, the question is whether we should open up Congress so that it is more of a representative body when so many of these members of Congress are idiots or... Um, <laughs> so, well, I guess you can say that, Kato. Uh, it's, so this is my opinion, by the way. So, um, and, and not just that they're not necessarily, um, you know, on top of things. They sometimes have bad ideas or they're influenced by social media or... Um, or all sorts of other things that cloud their judgment. Um, the answer I would give is yes, we should open up Congress. The way Congress works right now is not the way it's presented. And it's cer certainly now not how um, Schoolhouse Rock shows it, right? It's not uh, a whole bunch of people coming in, presenting their ideas, and then it goes through um, various iterations and people amend the legislation, and there's a lot of honest debate. It doesn't actually work like that at all. The way it works is you go to Congress, and you're on Team Red or Team Blue, and those leaders of those parties tell you what to do. They tell you what to think. They tell you not to interfere with what they're doing. At some point, they will present you legislation and they will say, take it or leave it. And you either uh, press the button to show that you're on the team or you press the other button to show that you're not on the team. And if you're not on the team, you are denied the committee spot you want, you're denied a chairmanship possibility, you're denied any presence in leadership ever, you are blacklisted in so many ways, they will tell the donors, don't donate to this person. I certainly had that. I remember, um, as an example, there was one organization where I had 100% on their scorecard, 100%, and they wouldn't endorse me for an election. They wouldn't endorse me. I had 100%. In fact, I was the highest scoring member of Congress on their scorecard. And I said to them, so what is this? Why won't you guys endorse me for re-election? And they said, well, John Boehner called us. John Boehner called us and said, don't you dare endorse Justin Amash. And so they didn't. And this is what the leadership team can do to you if you don't play ball. So 
the way the system works right now, and tell me if I need to, you, no, I know you going. have lots of questions, no, but keep going, please. the way the system works right now is the legislation is handed to you and you're told vote for it, yes or no, take it or leave it. In the House of Representatives, we haven't had an amendment on the House floor since 2016. 2016, Obama was still president, actually, when we last had an amendment on the House floor. Now, are there still amendments that happen in Congress? Sure, there are amendments, but these amendments have to go through something called, at least in the House, called the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee is run by the Speaker of the House. So if the Speaker doesn't like your amendment, especially if the Speaker thinks your amendment might pass, that amendment is not making it to the floor. So the better your amendment is, the less likely it makes it to the floor. In fact, if your amendment is a joke and has no chance of passing, there's actually some chance the speaker will let it on the floor because the speaker's not too worried about it. So serious amendments are actually chopped off right there by the speaker. And then um, there are some amendments that make it to the floor, but usually these are amendments produced by the speaker. Again, everything is done at the top. So what you have in Congress is dictation from the top, and you lack a discovery process. There's no discovery process. And I've always said you have to have a discovery process to, to actually represent the people. And at the end of the day, to sum this up, and we can talk about it more, of course, but yeah. to sum it up, a reason we have so much partisanship today and so much animosity and we have all of these performance artists, members of Congress, is because if you take away their ability to work on policy, they will only work on personalities. That's all that's left, they'll debate personalities because they don't actually have anything else to do. They are literally told, here's a 2,000 page bill, we're gonna vote on it in one hour. How can anyone assess that? I, I know there are people in this room who are um, in business. Would you ever do a deal to sell your company, for example? Here's a, here's a big agreement, you have one hour to decide. You wouldn't even do that with a, like a, a regular purchase that's pretty considerable. Yet here we are with the, essentially the biggest corporation in the world, the United States government, and people are doing this every day. They're making decisions on the fly without any representation, without anyone knowing what's going on. It's all hidden. So I think we should put it out in the, in the open, let people assess their members of Congress. Well, I think that's, that's a great point. So, so my question is, is then, you know, in your view, then what reforms should be undertaken? Like now that we have midterms are over, realistically, what is the best we can expect? And, and, and to this point, too, like what is the best you can expect looking at the speaker? I mean, can, you, can these changes happen, or is it just going to continue on? Yes, I don't see any changes happening under a Speaker McCarthy if that happens. <laughs> okay. um, and, and changes certainly didn't happen under a Speaker Pelosi. Um, ironically, you know, I, I mentioned this thing about Boehner uh, not you know, telling an organization don't support Amash, and, and I had many fights with Boehner. Ironically, Boehner was the best speaker that we've had in the past 10 years, probably. Um, because he, he opened things up. Right. To some extent. Not to a great extent, but at least to some extent. 
We've never seen anything like this, uh, the way it's closed down, and I don't think we can expect much anymore. Uh, toward the end of my time in Congress, and in 2020, we had a bill, the, the, I think one of the final bills I voted on was, and I voted no, was uh, some, something like 5,000 plus pages. And I think they only gave us an hour or something to look at it. It was extraordinary. And what they did was they packed every item that they wanted to from the whole year into this one bill. Because instead of letting us work as a deliberative body, they decided, well, at the end of the day, right before the holidays, we can just put one giant bill on the floor and tell everyone, you're not gonna go home for Christmas, you're not gonna go home for your holidays if you don't vote for this thing. And of course, everyone will vote for it. And I'm afraid that that's what we're gonna get in the next Congress and the next Congress and the next Congress if we don't speak up as people about the process. All of us care about substantive issues. We talked about a lot of important things today, um, for example, fiscal policy. But none of these things can happen if you don't actually have a legislative process. There are sometimes conservatives and libertarians who say, well, it's okay, we don't like the government, we want this dysfunction, that's good for government, all this gridlock is good. But the reality is, things are still happening. They're still passing legislation into law. The president is still signing things. It's just that you have no representation. Instead of it happening in the public where everyone can see, instead of your representatives having to vote on things, Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy are deciding everything. So you're, you're essentially electing one person. So what I would encourage people to focus on, if you want to improve this system, is uh, asking Congress to make legislation readable. I had, a, I had a bill in Congress called the Readable Legislation Act. Just make sure that people at home can easily see what's happening. Right now, the way it works is when you have a piece of legislation, it's a bunch of cross-references. When you hear that a bill is 5,000 pages, we're not just talking about 5,000 pages. That's just 5,000 pages of instructions. That, within that 5,000 pages, it will reference other legislation. So we'll say, on this, in this legislation, in this act, on this line, you have to amend it in such, such and such a way. If you actually had it in a Word document with track changes, it might even look a lot longer because you'd have all of it laid out and every cross-reference would be laid out. But I think that's what we should do. I think that legislation should look like a Word document with track changes set so that you can see what happens. And it might encourage people to make legislation shorter. It would certainly give representatives a better idea of what's happening, representatives and senators, and people at home would have a better idea of what's happening. And I think this kind of transparency is critical to getting it under control because if you want to get people to care about fiscal policy as another example, the, the only way to get them to care about it is if they can see what's in the legislation. It's very easy to convince people that a 5,000-page bill is bad if they actually find out what's in that bill. But they don't find out what's in the bill because it's passed before they even got a chance to look at it. Your representatives pass it before they get a chance to look at it, and you didn't get a chance to look at it. So the moment goes away. 
If you had that 5,000-page bill sitting out there for two weeks, do you know how much people would turn against this thing? You would find so much junk in that bill. And if you found just 10 things that were ridiculous and publicized it, that bill would get tanked. Now, does that mean that our government would shut down and, and all that, and you'd have all sorts of, in the, in the short term, you would cause disruption. But you would get the system back on track. The disruption is not a problem. You, you can't excuse away 5,000-page bills by always saying, well, if we, did it, if we did it another way, we'd have a shutdown and there'd be disruption. The only way to get this back on track is to create a little bit of disruption in the system. So there will be sh some short-term problems, but you'll have a long-term system that actually works. So um, make the legislation readable, give people time to read bills. Like I said, if a bill is passed, at a minimum, you should expect that there's like a week to take a look at this legislation before you vote on it. There are very few pieces of legislation where it's written and it must be passed that very second. This is a, a tiny fraction of all legislation. So give people some time to read it. So I think just some simple process changes mm -hmm. like that could be, could be really helpful. And we obviously need to bring back amendments too so people can actually amend legislation. But, so, but to make this happen, you said we, we could do something about this, right? Yeah. Like, so how do you think that there's an appetite for that in the public who could demand this that then when you're saying what you've also said is that um, many of the folks who are in Congress, they really are not interested in doing more than just sort of following what's happening with, with uh, leadership. So how do you make this change happen, right? How do you actually get the groundswell to demand this change and then get the right people in place that are actually going to actually want to take the time to do this, right? To, to mm -hmm. make sure that you have this deliberation when it's easier to just go along, right? Yeah. And, and become these personalities that you've been talking about. And you have social media that is allowing for all of this to occur. So I don't know if this is quite a related question, but, but so, so I'm just gonna pose it and you can kind of take it as you, as, as you want here. But you know, if you think about election reform, right? Because maybe that's a way of doing it, right? You know, could that play a role in getting these new folks, these new ideas into the political space that could actually change what's happening in Congress, what's changing what's happening in Washington? I mean, do you see that as a, as a possibility and what kind of reforms could make that happen? Yeah, so I think alternative voting methods like ranked choice voting would be helpful mm -hmm. if we'd get them adopted in more places. I think you would see more diversity in Congress if you were able to do that and you'd have uh, fewer people who feel beholden to just one party, which is definitely helpful to the system if you can have people feel comfortable breaking away from their leadership. But it's gonna take internal reforms as well uh, mm -hmm. that we've talked about. And you touched on this. The members of Congress are happy with the system. They're not against the system. They don't want to work. They're, they're not interested in reading the legislation. They're not interested in taking a bunch of votes. They're happy that there are no amendment votes. They are happy that at the end of the day, they just have to vote on one big bill and they're told vote yes or no and stick with the team. They're happy about that. It works to their advantage. Why, if you were a member of Congress, would you want to actually 
have a difficult job. You want your job to be as easy as possible, right? So they're thinking to themselves, oh, this is a great job. I don't have to read anything. I don't have to, I don't have to actually think. And at the end of the day, um, I can hide with the pack, right? I just hide with my team. Uh, the Republicans all did this together, so I'm safe, or the Democrats all did, did this together, so I'm safe. So they don't really feel inclined to break away or have any other system. They're, they're perfectly happy with it. And then when elections come around, because they were team players, they get reelected because the team will come and back them with resources. So the only way this is going to change is if people at home, people like you, are willing to press them on it. And also outside organizations. I think that would be helpful as well. But it's people at home who really need to take this into account and say, look, you guys aren't even doing your job. And I get told all the time this is, that process is not a sexy topic. They say, oh, well, nobody wants to talk about process. And I can tell you from my own experience that that is completely wrong. The most interesting thing that people wanted to hear about at my town halls was process. When I post on social media about the dysfunction of, co of Congress, that is the most exciting thing that people talk about on social media. They like to learn about that. They, they are upset about that. They feel like they've been kept in the dark. I posted several times to show the number of amendments allowed in the House since 20, um, 2011 till now. And if you go and look at I posted that on social media and every time it gets a big reaction. Because in 2011, it's something like in the, in the several hundred amendments. And then it, it gradually goes down until you see 2017, it hits zero. 2018, zero. 2019, zero. 2020, zero. 2021, zero. 2022, zero. We asked the um, uh, Congressional Research Service, we asked them to look at this. They told us that in the history of Congress, going back to the very beginning, the first term ever with a zero in number of amendments allowed on the floor was the 115th Congress, 2017 to 2018. In the history of Congress, it had never happened and now it's happened three Congresses in a row. I don't think it's switching back unless all of you care about it. Because the people in Congress are happy with the system. So if you don't care about it, they're not going to care about it. When you go to vote, you should care just as much about what the person thinks on fiscal policy or abortion or any number of hot button issues that you care about personally. You should care just as much about what they think about the process. Are you able to participate? What about offering amendments? What about reading the legislation? If, if you start to make that a priority, Congress will change. If we don't make it a priority, we've completely lost representative government. I, I like to say we don't really have a representative government. Mm -hmm. We have an oligarchy with the uh, ornamentation of a representative government. It looks like a representative government to the public, but it's not really a representative government at all. So 
besides yourself, are there others who feel this way? I mean, are there, do you have a, a other voices that we could look to that, who are supporting this idea as well? Yeah, there are others. Um, there are other members of Congress, none of them as vocal as I've been <laughs> about it, um, who are concerned about this, but the, and mostly on the right, really, because the ones on the left who care about it, and, and I'll give an example of like AOC, okay? She might not be popular in this room, but having had conversations with her, this is an issue she cares about. However, she's not willing to really do anything about it. And on the right, there are some people who want to do something about it, but they're not necessarily the, the people that you will find most appealing. Marjorie Taylor Greene has brought this up many times. Now, I don't know, you can question whatever motive she might have for bringing it up, but at least she talks about it. So it requires us to make alliances with some people, whether it's on the left or the right, who aren't necessarily going to agree with us on substantive policy, and that's okay. It's okay to have disagreements with them on substantive issues and say, well, we'll work together on improving the House of Representatives and improving Congress. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you could build that coalition, but it's not gonna happen without a lot of public support. And especially on the left, I, I have found that the Democrats in Congress are more reluctant than the Republicans to challenge authority. Um, and maybe you won't find that surprising, but that's what I found in Congress. But even on the right, we're talking about a handful of people. Look at the number of people who say, for example, that Kevin McCarthy shouldn't be speaker. We're talking about maybe a handful out of all of the Republicans in Congress. Well, I think as a baseline, you can expect the number of people who will care about the reforms I'm talking about and about the process problems, it's gonna be equal to or fewer than that number. So whatever number of Republicans say they won't support Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, mm -hmm. the number of people who care about these things is going to be equal to or smaller than that number. So we're talking about, you know, I don't know, fewer than a half dozen maybe. Um, and who knows how much of that is even real when push comes to shove and they have to vote. But the, uh, here's another point I want to make. The best time to reform process is when the margin is close. So there's never been a better opportunity than now. The best time to challenge them and to say open up the process is actually when the margin is this close. Because it only takes, let, let's suppose Republicans have 223 Republicans. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the actual number is. But they need 218 to, uh, to push forward with whatever process they want. So when we vote on legislation, 218 votes are needed to suspend rules, to waive rules, to prevent amendments com from coming to the floor, 218 votes are needed. So if just six members, if you have 200, 223 Republicans, just six Republicans can say, nah, we don't want this system anymore, Kevin McCarthy, or whoever the speaker mm -hmm. is. We want an open system. We want a transparent system. We want a deliberative system. We want amendments. We want time to read the legislation. Just six members of Congress can basically impose these kinds of reforms on Congress. So if you want to strike, now is the time to strike. Now is the time to do it. It's not when 
one party has 250 members. It's when one party has around 220 members that you want to strike. So I think we're, we're at a point, like for all of us, where we should really focus on this over the next two years. So if I can sort of change, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's, I mean, I find this just fascinating. I've been in Washington for, I don't know, over 20 years. And I, I, it's always amazing what goes on, on on Capitol Hill, but just sort of changing gears. So when thinking about what Romina was talking about, right, how we have to come together and deal with this fiscal crisis, right, this how is that going to happen with this divided government? And how are you going to, if you're looking at this, like, what are we going to do about spending? How are we going to deal with these big issues like the debt and other challenges if there's just, you know, it sounds like it's just Congress is really not working very well, considering. Do you see the prospects of any changes happening with this period of time? Yeah, I, not on its own. No, I don't see any, I don't see any changes happening. Um, and I tried many... I tried many routes internally to affect, especially this issue, fiscal issues. Um, when I came to Congress, what I thought I was going to deal with most was fiscal policy issues. And I ended up getting to a whole bunch of areas, other like libertarian issues, including civil liberties, that I, I wasn't expecting to do as much work on when I first entered Congress. Um, but it was necessary. And also, it became clear to me after a little while that the fiscal issues weren't budging. And, and part of the reason is because it's become so closed down, especially on those issues. They get so little attention. Things are thrown into this omnibus bill at the end of the year. Um, everything under the sun is thrown in there. And then people are told, vote on it, or you don't get to go home for Christmas. So I think without the kind of openness about what's in the legislation, mm -hmm. you're not going to get um, any change to the system. And, and like I said, if you, if you open it up and just have a system where there's time to read the bill, let's say you took an omnibus bill and you said, okay, two weeks before we vote on it, it's, it's so many thousands of pages, we're not going to vote on it for at least two weeks. Do you know how many news articles there will be or organizations pointing out what's in this bill and making people angry? And will that cause disruption, as I said? Yes. Does it mean people in Congress will miss Christmas holiday? Yes. It does mean they'll stay over Christmas. Does it mean there will be a temporary shutdown of the federal government? Yes, probably. All of that is OK to get this working again. Mm -hmm. Those are minor issues, missing the Christmas holiday one year or having a temporary shutdown for two or three weeks. Temporary shutdowns like that will have very little impact overall on the economy and on, on government itself. So getting it shut down for a little while so that you can get this back in order is fine. It's fine. Not every piece of legislation has to pass. Vote on something. If it fails, amend it, fix it, change it. That's how the system should work. And um, I think if we just took more time on legislation the, the size of the budget would start to go down again. Mm -hmm. You know, I, somebody told me this. I don't know who it is. Maybe it was my dear colleague, David Bowes, said that, that Governor Polis thought that you'd be really good as speaker. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did. Uh, I can say I, I think he endorsed me. Um, he, he did say that I, he thought I would make a good speaker. Um, and, he, he, you know, the, the speaker of the House does not 
uh, at least according to tradition, the Constitution, I think, is not totally clear on this. But according to tradition, does not have to be a member, a current member of Congress, um, or, or even a former member of Congress. It could be anyone. Right. Um, whether, you know, how that might get challenged, I don't know that the Supreme Court would ever, you know, ad address that kind of issue anyways. They're going to say it's an internal House issue. But, um, yeah, I would love to be Speaker of the House. <laughs> for, for that a, might be the solution. There, I mean, honestly, there's no position I would rather have than Speaker of the House. I've, I'm not shy about that point. Um, precisely because I would be exactly the neutral speaker that I think the House is supposed to have. I do not think the Speaker of the House should be a partisan, um, you know, politician. It shouldn't be someone who's trying to, to rig the system for one team or the other team. That's why you have a majority leader and a minority leader. They're the leaders of the party. So it's, it's already weird, for example, that the, the majority party has the Speaker of the House, and then they weirdly have this position called majority leader under the Speaker of the House. Well, the Speaker of the House is typically thought of as the leader of the party, not the majority leader. But this quirk developed because at some point, and pretty early on in our history, although the, the power that the speaker wields is, and the partisanship of the speaker has gotten worse over time, uh, at some point it was decided, oh, well, the speaker of the house is part of a party and that person's then going to be the leader of the party. I think the speaker of the house doesn't have to be non-ideological. For example, I'm very ideological. I'm libertarian. I have very strong views on policy, substantive policy. But when it comes to the role of Speaker of the House, you set that aside and you do what is good for the House. It's not my job as Speaker to impose libertarianism on everyone. My job is to make sure, if I were Speaker, to make sure the House runs properly so that people can offer amendments and ideas and we have a representative system. I can push my policies in my free time and say, this is the policy I would prefer, this is what I'd like, but the job of the Speaker isn't to do that. And right now what happens is the Speaker of the House basically sets up the system to benefit his or her re-election as Speaker. So the reason Paul Ryan was the first Speaker to shut down all the amendments. And the reason he did that was because it became difficult for him to be Speaker and maintain it while all these amendments were going on. Because what happens when you have lots of amendments? you have a lot of controversy. You have a lot of people arguing over things. You have a lot of the members you need to get reelected so you can get reelected as speaker now you know, being put on the line. Their job's on the line because they're taking tough votes. So what Ryan said was, and we had a conference meeting, he said, look guys, the Democrats are offering a lot of tough amendments and some of them are just there to cause us problems. You know, they don't have any intention of voting for the legislation at the end of the day. So what I as Speaker, Paul Ryan as Speaker, is going to do is shut down these amendments. Anytime you want to amend something, you send it to the Rules Committee and I'll decide whether it can be on the bill. And I immediately objected to this. And most of the other Republicans said, yeah, this is great. Thank you, Paul Ryan. Thank you for saving us from ourselves. We don't have to vote on things now. This is wonderful. It makes our re-election so easy. And whose re-election is also made easier by that? 
Paul Ryan's re-election as speaker. Now, ultimately, he just gave up on the whole thing with, with Trump there. But that's why it started, and that's why Pelosi continues it. So what the speaker really needs to do is be removed from that system completely. Not a person who cares about his or her party getting reelected so that they can get reelected based on some kind of party line vote. The speaker should be a, a neutral advocate for the institution and for our country. Someone who's just doing the job in a way that reflects our history and our traditions and our constitution. Okay, so one final question before, I think we'll have just a few minutes for, for Q&A. But okay, so my last question is, all right, which I think you might have already answered, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. So you joined Congress as a Republican, then you became an independent, and then a libertarian before you left Congress. So what's your future, which I think we just might have heard, and, 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 and will we see you in politics again? Well, I, I think the chances of getting elected speaker are still quite slim, so, <laughs> um, but they're not, they're not zero. They're not zero. I think it's important to note that. I don't think Kevin McCarthy has the votes to become speaker. Now, that can change between now and um, his election day. But I don't think he has the votes right now, and that means anything is possible. So there's some chance that they do something strange, or it goes to many rounds, and they can't come up with a solution. Um, and so I, my idea of being speaker is not some kind of, you know, just musing. I think that it is something I would be interested in if the situation were right and they can't decide on a speaker. Um, I'd be interested in, in getting involved in um, electoral politics again, running for office again. My, my kids are at an age right now where I'm happy spending time home with them. They're 17, 15, and 12. And when I left Congress, that was a decision I'd made um, well before I actually left, that I was only gonna stick around for about one or two terms. I decided that um, around uh, 2017, 2018, I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. Um, I have to spend more time with my family, and one of the reasons is because of the things we've talked about today. I ran for office to be a legislator, and I ended up being in the performance industry, just the acting industry, and it wasn't what I was looking for. I didn't, I didn't sign up to be an actor. Um, I, I, wanna, you know, I want to actually legislate. I don't want to just be, and, and, and unfortunately, I was uh, put in a position where I was voting against the Republicans on a lot of issues. So then I'm just upsetting everyone for no good reason, and nothing's happening. We're not making progress. So I decided to get out of there, but um, I think in a couple years or in four years, it's something that I would be interested in um, trying again. And, um, and so I'm, I'm open to that. But I, I think it's on all of us to make that kind of thing possible because the reason I left is the reason that other good people will not stay in Congress and will not, go, will not run for office. You're going, to, you're going to increasingly not have people run for office who care about our representative system or who have actual values and principles 
if the system is the way it is. Mm -hmm. Like why would anyone, the reason I wanted to leave was it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't legislating anymore. And you should expect that that's what's gonna happen in the future. You're going to get more people who want to be performers, performance artists, actors. Um, and that's what you're seeing increasingly. Yeah. People who just come in and they, they do that. So if we don't change the system, there will be no future uh, for people like me who actually care about the legislative process. Well, thank you so much for this great conversation. I appreciate it. We have time for like maybe one or two really quick questions. Maybe one question, maybe two. We'll see how fast. You have to do quick responses so we can get more. In a hypothetical <laughs> debate between, let's say, I'm the candidate opposing an incumbent from Congress, and I want to frame a question to that incumbent. What amendments did you sponsor? Could you put some meat on the bone of that question? Yeah, so how would you ask it? Yes. So the, the question is not whether they sponsored amendments, because there are people who will still sponsor amendments. In other words, they will, they will offer amendments. They'll write an amendment. But that amendment will not actually get onto the House floor. So there's a difference between writing a piece of legislation or writing an amendment and actually getting it onto the floor. And, um, and so we still have people who write amendments, although as fewer amendments get onto the House floor, you can imagine what incentive there is then against writing amendments. Like we, we ran into this at the end of our term, end of my time there in Congress, where my staff would say, would you like to offer an amendment? I'd say, well, sure, however, it means I'm going to spend three hours in the Rules Committee trying to convince them that my amendment should be on the bill and should be, all, all, should be introduced on the floor where we can all vote on it. And they're gonna say, Justin, you've introduced a very interesting amendment. Um, maybe in the future, this is the kind of thing we would put on the bill and it would be, you know, it sounds like a good idea and you've really put some time into this, but I'm sorry, you can't have it today. And I'd waste three hours of my time in the Rules Committee personally, my sitting there in the Rules Committee, where I could be working on other things. And my staff would waste more time than that by far working on the amendment, making sure it's exactly right. So we got to the point where we said, we're not even gonna offer amendments anymore because what's the point? I'm just wasting my time. We're all wasting our time. There's other things we could be working on that are actually more important than this because this isn't going anywhere. So there's, there's a system now that disincentivizes writing amendments, but the question more important than did you offer amendments um, or introduce amendments is can you introduce an amendment on the, from the House floor that gets a vote? And the answer will be no, you cannot. I mean, if they tell you anything other than that, they are lying to you. They cannot introduce amendment on the House floor, directly from the House floor, which is how it used to work. You could walk up and you'd say, Mr. Speaker, I have an amendment at the desk. And they'd have an amendment right there and you could offer it right there and there was nothing they could do about it. You were voting on that amendment. Because it's germane, if it's germane to the bill and it's offered there on the floor, it was gonna be voted on. Not on every piece of legislation, but certainly on appropriations legislation, which is all the fiscal and spending issues. So. Uh, if you ask them, can they do that, the answer is going to be no. They're not able to do it. Okay, one more question and super fast response. <laughs> I'll do my best. Really, two questions. One, 
who is writing these thousand page bills? And secondly, why are they so long? Yeah, so the bills are written by the leadership team, which would be the Speaker of the House, staff, sometimes in conjunction with the other party's leadership, depending on what the legislation is. So you might have the two leadership teams working together. And then there are lobbyists who are writing the particular portions. And a lot of times these things are written over the course of a year or two years, and then they're cobbled together at the end of the day. So you might have this portion comes from this legislation, or this portion comes from some other bill in the past, and then they're just cobbled together at the end of the day. But what we found is that we frequently had to contact lobbyists and outside organizations to get the text of the legislation because members of Congress did not have the text, but the lobbyists did. So I would be voting, and they'd, they'd tell us, we're going to vote on this bill tomorrow. And we'd be like, we don't even have the text. We don't even know what's in the bill, and we heard it's thousands of pages. Our staff would have to reach out to lobbyists who might have access to the legislation. They would secretly provide it to us, and then we would get to read it an advanced copy that way, because they'd have it before we would. They're, it's intentional. Keeping the members of Congress in the dark is not an accident. It is on purpose. They do not want your representatives to know what's going on. So we, we rank and file members are not writing this legislation. It's being written by leadership, um, leadership staff, and lobbyists. And if you want that to change, there has to be more transparency in the system. Uh, I think you need people to be upset about it at home. Well, thank you so much, Justin. It was just terrific having you. I mean, thank you so wonderful. much. It was it was a great conversation, and I just want to especially thank you for your public service and for pushing for sound reform and for your great commitment to liberty. So thank you so much. And thank, thank you. you, everybody, for coming. It's always a treat for us to be in Chicago, and I wish you all a happy holidays, and thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, everyone.